Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. People turn to the Weather Channel app for their weather forecasts every day. But what if the app could forecast more? Like allergy risk trackers and real-time rain alerts. So you know when to stay inside, load up on tissues, and podcasts. And 24-hour future radar, so you can plan to get outside, load up on sunscreen, and podcasts. Do more of what you love. Don't just check the weather. Embrace it with the Weather Channel. Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given and it is myself, Toby Tarrant, joined as ever by bully of university cricketers, Mr. Stephen Finn and uh, TMS media darling, Mr. Daniel Norcross as well. Finney, let's start with you. So you've been uh, playing your first pre-season game, pulled on that famous Sussex shirt and you just, you know, there you are, an ex-England international Ashes winner, beating pretty much every side in the world. And um, and you think you're big and clever for for running in and taking free for against a load of university students who actually are probably just never picked up a cricket bat in their life. They probably just want to study theology or something and and get on with it. Well, I'm sure if any of them have listened to this podcast um, or do listen to it, they'll be incredibly offended if you describe them as never picked up a cricket bat before. It's actually a university centre of cricketing excellence, which is bred and um, cajoled some fantastic players over the years. So these young players may have a very bright future ahead of them, just not quite at the moment. What do you mean, like Nasser Hussain and Andrew Strauss under the care? Andrew Strauss, yeah. The tutelage of Graham Fowler as their head coach, who was on, of course, this podcast on the night that he um, accidentally knocked over my table and sprayed wine up the wall. Uh, (laughs) Durham. But another thing I want to point out there, Philly, did you notice that the, the worst thing that he could imagine of a cricketer, like the lamest cricketer they could possibly be, would be a student who hadn't picked up a bat and was a theology student. <laughs> theology. <Yeah>. Because... <laughs> and um, because they'd be so woke, wouldn't they, theology students? Yeah. Um, too woke for their own good. They'd always, they, yeah, they always would. believe in they morality. 
Oh, you know, yeah. the fact that the Reverend David Shepherd was one of the great cricketers of the 1950s has just passed him by. The Reverend Wingfield Digby got me out with an absolute snorter up at Oxford many years ago. <laughs> Pitched on leg at the top of off. <laughs> well, I'll tell you That's what it. as well. The, even if they were a theology student who'd never picked up a bat before, they'd still be better at cricket than Toby. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. You say that they've got a bright future in the game, but if they're getting out to your fucking powder puff bowling, then they haven't got too much hope, have they? You know, Finney, Finney uh, they've been filming these games. And Finney took a wicket and immediately sent it to the Zero Ducks given WhatsApp group. And um, but unkind, I thought, actually, Finney, uh, you sent me a video of you snicking off a guy and you said, I can't wait to do this to you, Toby, after a couple of short balls. I think that's, I think that's pretty unfair. And as I said to you on the WhatsApp group, uh, you won't have any slips in after you've had a couple of short balls to me because I'll have dispatched them way into the, way into the terraces and uh, you'll, have, you'll have 10 men out on the rope, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than likely is there'll be an ambulance on the pitch picking up your teeth. And putting them in milk so your mum can have them for later. <laughs> what what what's she going to do with my teeth? What just something to remember me by? Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take them to her when I pop round and visit her. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the ultimate insult would be if Finny killed me with, whilst bowling and then immediately had an affair with my mother. That would be pretty much <laughs> well. I mean, actually, thinking about this from a purely commercial point of view. If we could get a snap of the ball hitting the stumps, having cannoned off your teeth and the stumps looking exactly like your teeth now mm. smashed apart, and then you did die, mm. then that as an NFT would be worth absolutely millions because, you know, it would be like your last moment and mm. the mirroring effect. It would just, if we could, can we make that happen? I mean, obviously, we don't necessarily need to tell Toby that perhaps in advance, but. We I'll just welcome. surprise him. I'll, I'll I'll play the long game now. I'll just be nice to him until we have this net, and then bang. <laughs> I look easy. I'll quote you on that later on this podcast when you're calling me a bell end that you're going to be nice to me until then. <laughs> I'll get a photographer lurking behind a privet hedge. Toby will never realise what's going on. Like Bielsa at Leeds, just spying on me at all times. Basically, that's right. Ready to get that NFT. Well, yeah. If we do enter the NFT market, and if my death does add to the value, then good luck to you both. Actually. It is, a, it is a fact that as soon as somebody dies, everything they've ever been near immediately is worth a lot more. I mean, look look at Jesus. He died and his book sales are still pretty damn good to this day. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. A lot. You make, make a strong point. The dinosaurs. No, dinosaurs. No one's interested in dinosaurs until they were wiped out. Yeah. Now, it's now still bloody whole museums dedicated Where? to the bastards. Yeah. Bloody exactly. films galore, franchises. Yeah, they're worth true. billions, the, the dinosaur industry. It's very, very true. Now, Finney, you didn't get to bat in this game because normally um, that's your level, isn't it? Some poor, like, teenager bowling at you, half-trackers. That's normally the, that's normally where you can actually hit a few sixes, isn't it? There is a, uh, a short boundary, a very, very short boundary, actually, towards the far side of the ground at Hove. And we do have a second innings that we're currently none down in overnight. And I'd imagine we're going to bat for the first session then bowl for the last two tomorrow so there could be half a chance for me to get in the coach or the captain's ear to say let me go let me kind of have a slog no come on come on Finney it's got to be done it's got to be done you you said yourself you're batting like Matthew Hayden at the moment in the net I actually I actually am yeah I'm not sure how Matthew Hayden would go on a on an early season nibbler (laughs) (laughs) even against a trainee monk yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) exactly 
<laughs> okay, so let me let, let's just talk through this map situation because for people who are just joining us, uh, it should be clear by now. Finney's playing a uh, pre-season friendly. It's happening around the country. These pre-season friendlies against university teams. They used to have first-class status. I don't think they do uh, at the moment. Three-day game. The weather forecast at the time of recording for the following day, the day you might be listening to this, is pretty dreadful. It's 12 degrees with an icy wind, particularly tricky on the south coast, whipping up. Wind chill factor huge. So why on God's earth would you guys who have got like professional contracts and have to play proper cricket very soon risk all of your muscles being torn to pieces when you could just bat all day and leave the trainee monks in the field, shivering, wearing cassocks and weird pointy hats or something. I don't know. what I'm not quite sure what monks wear these days. They're probably actually all dressed in denim or what I know. But you've surely, you've surely got to leave them out in the field. You can't, you, you can't be, you cannot be bowling. What's the point in winning this game? Well, good question. It's, it's all in the essence or in the name of putting miles into your legs. Ooh. And I, I've got through 15 overs in the first innings and I'm probably going to have to get through 10 more tomorrow. Well, two spells, one with the new ball and one with a semi-new ball. And then it'll be time to put my feet up and let the others take up the mantle. But yeah, at the moment, these games, they're not about winning them. They're about preparing yourself as best you can for that first championship game. However, I will be trying to get in the coach's ear to tell him that, you know, we've, we've done enough and we're good to go because fielding in an icy wind down here, I mean, it was pretty windy today and pretty cold. And if it's going to be more windy and more cold tomorrow, then uh, it's not going to be that pleasant. You just made me realise because on uh, TMS, we have, we get the weather forecast in the morning. And, you know, we go off to Stavdenaos and, and I make a really abstruse classics joke that no one can ever get, which is I fear the Greeks even when they're bearing gifts. Because in the original, it's Timeo Denaos at Dona Ferentes, and what? nobody gets it. And, and they won't get it. fucking again. don't. No. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good Latin joke, that. It's a really good Latin oh. joke. Uh, especially a... if he's just said it's going to be a good forecast. But you just made me realise that the weather forecast we get in the morning of every test match, they should put in things like that. They should say, like, a five-over spell. It'll feel like a ten-over spell in this weather. You know, like they do with the wind chill factor. Cricket weather forecast should actually be tailored to cricketers and cricket discuss. Yeah, well, today's conditions, the bold 15 overs, it feels like I've bowled 115. There you go. <laughs> that's that's taken into account the fact that that's the most overs I've bowled in a day for uh, since May last year. And also the fact that, yeah, it's cold, it's windy. I'm a bit older, you know? A bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, not only a year, now, you've, had a, you've, you've had a busy couple of weeks. Well, a busy week actually, Finney, because not only have you been playing your first pre-season game, but you and Daniel Norcross were co-commentators on an IPL game on the radio the other day. Now, quite a bleak moment where Dan Norcross was basically training you up to ultimately take his job. Essentially, how did it feel to uh, to work alongside Norcross in a slightly more professional environment? Because I was inundated with tweets from people that said you were both being quite nice to one another. Yeah, well, you know, this is paying the bills. I mean, I'm not paid a penny to do this podcast, so I can be an absolute penis if I want. <laughs> um, whereas on the BBC, 
whilst we're working for the very reputable broadcasting station that is the BBC, then I have to uphold some degree of sensibleness, I suppose. So, yeah, that, that's probably why I was being nice to him. Um, also, and, you weren't and, there, Toby, which was helpful. Yeah, well, it that's... was very helpful. We had a really nice cordial chat, actually. We caught up mm. with each other and um, he offered to make me a cup of tea. And then we, were, we both said, actually, almost at the same time, wouldn't this be fucking dreadful if Toby was here? Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, the evidence is compelling that the minute I'm not there, you two get along like a house on fire. It is, I'll be honest, it's very hard to argue with those facts, actually. <laughs> He's um, actually, well, I've invited Philly to my um, my house for me when I've finished the, the works that I'm doing at the moment. And, um, you know, it's, it's a yes. He's, he's going to help me with the barbecue. Um, I'm not. I, I don't know when it'll be though, Toby. Yet I don't know. I'll let you know when I when I find out. Perfect. Well, I'm available. I'm, I've I've got very free calendar, so just give me a heads I up, bet. guys. I'm looking forward to hanging out with two of my good pals. <laughs> should be should be should be good fun. <laughs> All right, let's get into uh, let's get into the cricket. I've tried to avoid talking about England for as long as humanly possible, but we can't avoid it any longer. England after drawing two test matches on some pretty rancid, horrible pitches in the West Indies. They succumbed to a 10-wicket defeat in the third and final test of their test match series against the West Indies. It should be pointed out before we completely slag off England uh, that the West Indies were were bloody good, actually. Very, very impressive. Uh, A very inexperienced side in places. They bowled well. They probably showed a lot more application with the bat than England did or comfortably did in the last test in particular. And also, West Indies are sort of everybody's second team. Don't know, there's something annoying about it. I was watching them walk around the boundary at the end of the series, celebrating their win, and you can't help but feel a little bit pleased for them, even though they've just defeated England. The Red Bull reset, Finney, not off to a great start. It seems to me the Red Bull reset is basically dropping your two best bowlers uh, and still getting bowled out cheaply. Did England learn anything from this test series, do you think? (laughs) Um, It's a tricky question. I I think they found that Saqib Mahmood is going to be a good international test match bowler. I think that that was quite evident in the games that he did play. Maybe one day he'll join the um, the illustrious club that is the Test Match 50 club, but he didn't quite get there. Unfortunately, it would be nice to shake his hand and welcome him to that one <laughs> when he gets there, if he gets there one day. Saqib Mahmood was a big positive. I thought Jack Leach actually bowled quite well. Through the whole um, through the whole series with not much luck in the first couple of test matches, and then aside from that, I mean there were definitely positive signs in the first test with the bat and Crawley, Root, Stokes, hundreds. But yeah, it was a bit abject, wasn't it? The way that the the way that they collapsed in that third test match, and ultimately in an important time in the series, or the most important time in the series, where West Indies were were able to resist in the second test to save the game and to take it to a third test, England weren't able to. Well, I, I, I agree with all of that. Which is, it's funny that, isn't it? We, we, we seem to be agreeing with each other quite a bit. But I'd, I'd add one oh, thing. Oh, fuck off, you two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd add one thing. I can't believe but, I'm third wheeling on this bloody podcast nowadays. There's always a game when three men meet called Who's the Foggy, based on, uh, you know, the, the old person summer wine thing. When three men are in the same room, one person gets targeted by the other two. It can it can rotate. Yeah, it's not always the same one. But today you are the foggy. Okay, so, if that must be my role. So <laughs> well, just to, just for today, Tobes. Just for today. you never know. You you you'll, you'll come back fighting next week. But I know you're a little under the weather, so that's part of the reason. So we're bullying you because you're ill. Perfect. Thanks uh, very much. Um, 
what I would say is that the England selectors, in some ways, have made it much, much easier for the next coach to recall Anderson and Broad. <laughs> they're, they're straight in, it seems to me. quite easy. And, and one of them might even be captain. We'll discuss that in a minute. But they also failed to take our brilliant advice, which we've been banging on about for a year and a half, which is pick Steve-O. Because who was it that actually won that test match? It was Kyle Bloody Mayers. Yeah. Holding 75 mile per hour dob <laughs> on a length just outside the off stump. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? That here we are constantly going, where are England going to find that point of difference cricketer? Oh, it's Joffre Archer. Oh, it's Ollie Stone. It's somebody who can bowl really fast overseas. But when they get absolutely trounced, it's not bloody Josh Hazelwood doing it necessarily or Cummins. It's sodding Scott Boland and it's Kyle Mayers. So, Maybe they're failing to understand the message of all this, which is pick bloody Steve-O. Get Darren Stevens in that team. They would have pulled off a shock win. Then he could put him out to pasture. You know, he's no good in English on English test pitches, but clearly he's perfect for the flat tracks of the West Indies. It would have been absolutely magnificent if the Red Bull reset was just calling up Steve-O. That was just, that was their big genius plan. It would have been absolutely wonderful. Like I said, there were a few sort of unexpected heroes in that West Indies side. Joshua De Silva, who was basically hadn't played any professional cricket as of a couple of years ago and was playing in in Surrey. I mean, this is how bad the standard he was playing for. He was playing in the league about two divisions below me a few years ago. Jesus. It puts it in perspective. <laughs> Good Lord. But it's amazing what a Woodstock bat can do for a cricketer because uh, <laughs> he batted absolutely beautifully with that Woodstock cricket bat, I felt. Mayers, who's already had a bizarre test career, uh, single-handedly, played one of the greatest test innings of all times, then got dropped, then been recalled. Um, it was just, it, there was a lot of unsung heroes in that West Indies side. And like, like I say, it's very easy to just slag off England. But um, they were good at times. And also, we talked about it before the series, England haven't won in the Caribbeans very often. So no. maybe it's not as shocking a result as we were expecting. It's not, it's not shocking. It's, it's, one, it's once that they've won, 2004 since 1968. And I can't remember which idiot chairman of the ECB it might it might have been was it Giles Clark or, or was it Collier who described the West Indies as mediocre the last time they went over and this is symptomatic of I think what is really wrong with English cricket which is that the test team is forever being asked to look ahead now this this is what Stuart Broad has said I'm not you know it's not an original thought they're always looking ahead to planning for usually the ashes it could be something else they're never looking at the match that's right in front of them and the West Indies picked their best team to win the matches in front of them or to survive them on flat decks because they don't have this luxury of pomposity that we have in England of believing that you know we're better than that we've got to stop believing we're better than that and we've got to start realizing that we're not and the only way you stop then getting any worse you know it could be worse it could be worse every bloody day it's worse than the last day they need to find they need to find some honesty and realize that that they are not a powerhouse in test cricket and start winning matches by picking their best team and who gives a shit who they're playing in 12 months time who are you playing tomorrow i completely agree i sometimes wonder if english cricket is a bit hamstrung almost by the Ashes and also how much money the Ashes brings in. And therefore, unlike other test sides, which don't have this huge series to look forward to every four years, 
we're always planning. We've always got one eye on an Ashes series, whereas the West Indies are just going, well, we'll just try and win this Test series because that's all we've got to look forward to. But the Australians, on the flip side, they don't ever seem to just be building for an Ashes series. You look at Kawaja, pissing runs for them at the moment. Uh, you know, they've recalled Chris Rogers in recent years. Mike Hussey made his debut late. The Australians just like winning whoever they're playing against. And they don't have one eye on England in three or four years' time. Um, the next big question has to be over Joe Root, who once again led the way with the bats. Didn't get any runs, sadly, in the last Test match, but obviously two centuries before that. He's desperate to stay on as captain. He's very honest about it. He really, really believes in himself as captain. He thinks the players believe in him as captain. It, the decision might get taken out of his hand in the next few weeks and months as the hierarchy of English cricket changes. Uh, Finney, you've been in changing rooms and you've seen change of captains for England and for Middlesex. Does there come a point where you just almost need to hear from a from a different voice in the changing room? Or do you think those guys will just absolutely idolise and worship Joe Root and he's still the right man for the job? Yeah, I think there are a number of caveats to that conversation, just in the sense that sometimes it can feel as though a captain gets to the end of his tenure and doesn't have the command in the dressing room that he did once have. Is that the case with Joe Root? By the sounds of it, no, because by the sounds of it, the players are behind him and support him and respect him as a captain and obviously as the best player in the team. But yeah, there, there definitely does come to a stage where the cycle of leadership ends, whether that's from a coaching perspective or a captaincy perspective. And I think that that decision is going to have to be made in conjunction with, obviously, whoever comes in next. I think the thing that's not helping anyone at the moment is just the uncertainty towards what on earth is going on with English cricket. Is there going to be a selector? What is the head coach's role going to be? Is it going to be a split role with test matches and white ball cricket split? You know, there are so many questions that need to be answered before then you address the captaincy. So it's a very tricky situation to be in for Joe Root because he's obviously passionate about being captain of England and desperately wants to do it and believes that he can do it. But his philosophy is going to have to match up to that of the person that becomes head coach or director of cricket next. There has to be also, I agree with that, but there has to be a lot of realism in that. You know, when Paul Collingwood gives an interview, and I understand why he says it, because you go in and out of an interview, just get out of there. Just get out of there with with your with your day intact. But when he says I, I, something along the lines of "there are so many positives," I can't I can't tell you how many positives there are to take out of this series. You've got to read the room a bit as well, and the room is that cricket in England is the fans. I know the players are hugely important, but it is the the fans and the people who follow it. And Test cricket needs people to keep on following Test cricket to keep it going, keep it relevant. And you have to be a little bit aware of that. You know, like in football, they probably go too far the other way. And they're constantly, talking, you know, getting very keening and wailing and gnashing of teeth when you've lost a game. You go, you take to Twitter and you apologise to the fans. And in cricket, obviously, they, they don't do that. But they need to go a little bit nearer to that because that was like a shocking defeat. It wasn't shocking because it was the West Indies. It was shocking because of the nature of the collapse again. It was a bit like what happened in Hobart and to say that great progress has been made when effectively what you've seen is the same kind of batting collapse surrender you know and then there's like talk that's come out that 
I think Collingwood may even have said something along these lines that uh, England's batters when they went out to bat were quite demoralised by the last wicket partnership, the ninth and tenth wicket partnership. Well, unfortunately, that then puts spotlight on Joe's captaincy because how were those ninth and tenth wicket partnerships handled? Not awfully well, you know. So you can't then come round and, and tell the watching audience there's lots of positives we can take out of losing by 10 wickets in this game. There, there needs to be a bit more. It's not good enough, you know, I think. And, I mean, Andy Flower bought a bit more, it's not good enough. And Duncan Fletcher did, there's a bit more, it's not good enough. And they worked quite well as coaches, didn't they, those two? And yeah. I know it sounds a bit harsh because I'm not, I don't have to sit in that changing room with somebody who's frothing at the mouth saying it's not good enough. But, <laughs> and it's probably not a great deal of fun to have to do that. But you can't help feeling that there probably needs to be a bit of that. I think you're bang on. I saw Joe Root tweet earlier and pretty much reiterate what he said in all the post-match interviews that, you know, there's loads of positives and I genuinely believe we're making progress and the sort of same sound bites he was saying after they lost that third test. And I did think Twitter's a cesspit anyway, but I did have a glance at the comments and I did think exactly that. I thought this isn't going to go down well because we've just watched us get bowled by 120 and lose by 10 wickets to the West Indies who, as much as we're giving them a bit of credit, aren't, a cricketing superpower at the not moment. Not bowled out by Kyle Mayers, not been bowled out by Curtly Ambrose, not been exactly. bowled out by Michael Holding or Patrick Patterson or, or, or Kemar Roach, quite frankly, yeah. who was I'm, in the bloody team. They were bowled out by Kyle Mayers, you know, and that that is quite difficult for a lot of people watching on totally to comprehend. And part of that is because they are not desk cricketers and they don't know what desk cricketers got to go through, but also because they know enough about cricket to know that they don't think Australia would have done that. They don't think India or Pakistan would have been bowled out by Kyle Mayers on that pitch under those circs. And I think they're probably right. Yeah, but that's exactly it. And, and I, think there's a, I think there's a strange disconnect at the moment between how brilliant the English white ball team has been and how crap the English red ball team has been in the last few years. But the white ball team's success has kind of been built on giving the players the confidence, building them up, letting them go out and express themselves. And I feel like they've tried to do that slightly in the red ball side. But... It's not really about that in test cricket. It's more about your technique and keeping your head down and not giving your wicket away. It's not good enough to be like, go out there and express yourself. Because what happens is you play a wafty cover drive to Kyle Mills and you snick off and then you're back in the oh, changing room. So Finney, there's a weird Finney, disconnect Finney, at the minute. Finney's the perfect man. Talked about this. I mean, you played in, in teams with Jonathan Trott and Alistair Cook. You know, what what were, what was their approach to batting? It was, it was not to play a couple of lovely lofted drives. Zach Crawley, did he get eight runs in the second innings? Two... Lofted drives, just missing a fielder, and then a lofty drive to second slip. Come on. <laughs> yes. And I mean, uh, well, going back to the coaching thing, I think that it's no good having someone who's spitting the dummy all over the dressing room and um, frothing at the mouth all the time, I don't think, because people just switch off from that style of leadership. But I do certainly think that the best coaches that I've played under allow people to go and, for want of a better phrase, express themselves or more more importantly, just play with a free headspace to be able to go out there and watch the ball is more what I mean by that um, and concentrate on that very moment in time as opposed to looking too far ahead or too far behind. But then they are also capable of sitting the team down and dishing out a spray and then you know that they really mean it when they do it. It's not just every day you walk in thinking, well, what the fuck are we going to get shouted at about today? 
more important is ah, okay, we know we've done this wrong. We need to get our heads back in it and um, and come get back in the game or, or get our heads back together. So yeah, that that would be my ideal coaching scenario or my dream coach to be coached by. But there's not many of those growing on trees, unfortunately. I'll ask a question that follows up to that because. You know, there's a lot of evidence that it's the bowlers that win you test matches. And indeed, England's failure to take those last two wickets took them, or three wickets really, because they had West Indies at 150 off the seven. They were in all sorts of bother there. They could have had a first innings lead. They didn't. But what has been the most shocking sign has been the batting collapsing for really low scores, you know, under test match par scores. So do, do you believe, Finney, I think I do, that some of these batters are very good. Pope, Lawrence, a good batters. Crawley times a, a good cricket ball. What is it that they've got to do to become red ball batters? Because you watch the way India wrote, you know, KL Rahul and, and, um, and Sharma managed to smash the ball around the park in a one-day game, and then they come up against England at Lords on a green seamer, and they're 60 for none at lunch. Now, it, it shouldn't be impossible for English batters to be able to do that. What, what is it that's stopping them accessing that kind of patience, I guess? To be honest, I I don't know. I mean, the domestic cricket is obviously taking an absolute shooing at the moment, isn't it? For um, I think in India, if you go and play a domestic game, you're going to play on a flat surface that will probably spin as opposed to a, a ball where someone... Like lobbing it up there and it's you don't know which way it's going to dart around. I think that that is not conducive to learning to bat long, long periods of time. But then you look at Ollie Pope in domestic cricket and he averages over 50 or 60 in domestic cricket. So it doesn't feel like an overly valid argument just to kick county cricket. But it's very, very hard to understand. And, and as a bowler, it's hard for me to understand as well because I feel like bowling your your skills can be transferable and actually playing T20 cricket and 50 over cricket makes you far more concentrated on what you're doing. So then running up and bowling in a first class game where someone's not trying to pan you out the park is actually a pleasure <laughs> because someone plays a defensive shot or leaves you and you're like, oh, this is really nice. <laughs> but then, but then, yeah, for, for batters, the other way round, I don't... I don't know whether white ball cricket's to blame. Yeah, I, in answer to your question, I haven't got a fucking idea. Any, any idea? Please <laughs> it, it, say that next time you're in TMS, Dan. <laughs> I'm going to say, I've not got a fucking idea, mate. It is an attitude of mind, isn't it? I think. And, and I think, you know, a, a test match team, a test match coach and a test match captain are all, are all working together to get people into a test match mindset. They've got the skills to do it. They've got the, they did have the techniques to do it. It's funny how when they arrive in the England team, their techniques alter strangely without anybody stopping them and saying, no, 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 go back to where you were. Oddie Pope used to stand on middle stump. He, he stands outside off now and he gets bowled behind his legs middle stump and nicks off to second slip. He's, it's ridiculous. He's one of the best young batters I think I've ever seen in my life. And I don't know how it gets to that. Except that I think it's because there isn't a guiding hand. There isn't somebody saying, well, this is how we play test cricket. This is what we do. It isn't about shouting and screaming at people. As Finney says, it's about, you know, getting people to understand. It's a five-day game. Ollie, 
You've got all the time in the world. You, you'll get a t- you'll get a moment to express yourself. Just get in. Then you can express yourself. All of you, just get in. <laughs> yeah, it's it, not it, that it, complicated. It has to be a mindset application thing because, like you say, Rohit Sharma and Rahul and those sorts of players all around the world, and David Warner and all these players that have done it in white ball and red ball cricket. It has to be a mindset and an application thing because you look at someone like Alex Lees who. You know, I'm sure Alex Lees wouldn't be offended if I said Zach Crawley's got twice the amount of talent, if you like, that Alex Lees has. But Alex Lees recognises what what I've got to do to stick around here and score some runs, whereas Zach Crawley's probably got all the shots and played a bit of white ball cricket. Um, and it's not just the guys that are in the side at the minute. I've, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago that it's also the Alex Haleses and James Vinces and Jason Roy's and Josh Butler's and all these other brilliant white ball English batsmen who have never really been able to transfer it to the Red Bull side. And I don't, I don't know why that is when you see it around the world that it can be done. And the modern... Well, that's what I mean. It's got, it's got yeah. to be... It's got to be it the has to be mindset and application. And the, exactly, yeah. It's got to be the environment in which they're operating. Yeah, because it has so to these, be. these guys would be perfectly capable of doing it, perhaps in a different setup. Yeah. So it's, it's hard not to think that the setup is quite important. And yeah. of course... Just picking up on something that you were saying earlier, you know, that, that Finney was saying, we've got to wait until we get a coach sorted and, and a coach for red and white ball and all that. Yeah, we've we're still got to, in the labyrinthine, idiotic way the ECB runs, we've got to wait to get a managing director first because that person then appoints and appoints and appoints. So we're waiting for some administrative post, which is really difficult, again, for cricket fans to understand. I mean, I just looking at not just cricket Twitter, but just talking to people who love their cricket. I was at quiz last night and there are guys there who never go anywhere near Twitter in their fifties and sixties. And their, their issue was that they just felt completely alienated from the process because it just didn't make sense to them. They were brought up on if you, if you're dreadful, then, then things need to change. And instead it's, if you're dreadful, we'll tell you that everything's really positive and great. Well, it really isn't. It really isn't. And, and everybody from the ECB downwards and all the players need to understand that it isn't really great at all. And there aren't positives for us to take. What we want to see is things improving. And all those things happen away from the glare of a fan. They can't see what makes things improve. They happen in the changing room. You know, they happen in the coaching setup. They, they will hopefully happen over the next few months. But don't come at us with positive talk right now because now is as bleak as it has been it's like 1999 bleak and I was at the Oval that day when the crowd booed NASA's team when they went bottom of the the championship losing to New Zealand they went below Zimbabwe and it was a pretty nasty atmosphere actually but they did respond the authorities responded to that and I just urged them to respond this time and not take every fan and every lover of cricket for granted because it's so, slightly irritating. Uh, I completely agree. I mean, I've, it, I completely, it, it is the lowest the English test side has been that I can really remember. I was so young when England were crap in the 90s. Sorry to rub that in, both of you. Uh, but uh, that I do, I, <laughs> I, I, vague, I, ve- yeah, I vaguely remember being aware that England were crap and my dad was always swearing at the TV. But then dad used to swear a lot anyway, so it was hard to tell. But um you know, my early really cricket memories are that sort of team building up to the 2005 Ashes. So in my lifetime, I've never seen the test side so abject as this. Now, you did mention Norcross. Uh, you hosted a quiz last night and you uh, tantalisingly teased us on last week's pod that you were going to 
host a quiz for us this week. And against oh. my better judgment, uh, I'm going to allow you to do this. You've not prepared it, have you? No. I gave you a fucking week. You've had a week to plan this. Yeah, but can you remember? Can you remember what the quiz was supposed to be on? No. It's your quiz. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, no, you're right. I did have a brilliant idea for a quiz last week. And I've forgotten it. So in that case, I'll tell you what, I'll improvise a quiz. I'll improvise a quiz because I wanted to talk about this anyway. So um, how by how many wickets? I'm going to ask Vinny first. And if he's right, then then we'll move on. And if not, then, uh, well, if he's, you you get the idea. By how many wickets did New Zealand beat India in the Women's World Cup to knock them out and secure their place against England in the semi-final on Wednesday night? A hundred runs. By how many wickets? (laughs) Please listen to this. Are you Monty Panasar doing fucking mastermind? (laughs) I'm I'm reading the the school report on the West Indies tour here to try and do some homework. Um, uh, How many wickets? It was a really thrilling game. I'll try to remind you. It went down to the last over. Nine. Nine? No, I can definitely offer that over to Toby. Toby? Um, well, I didn't see this game, um, but the fact that you said it was a thrilling game, I'm going to say that it must have been tight. So I'm going to say two wickets. I'm not. Do I even give you half a point for that? It was three wickets. It was an absolutely thrilling game. Um, uh, Dipti Sharma bowled a no ball. Uh, accident, well, I'd say accidentally. I mean, they're, presumably they're, they're all accidental. Uh, she bowled a no ball. Caught it long on, which of course totally changed the game. They needed three off two and it turned into two off two without losing a wicket where otherwise it'd have been three off one it's the subject of a brilliant icc video i recommend it to anybody out there so on a similar theme right um england had to beat bangladesh and they believed that they had to get their net run rate higher than india's in order to qualify in case india beat south africa by how many runs toby did England beat Bangladesh in their last group game? Uh, I was drunkenly following this on a stag do at the weekend, and I you think were. England ended up winning by 100 runs exactly, or have I made that up? They won by 100 runs exactly, Toby! There we go. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. so... I thought that's the question I was being asked first, to be honest. <laughs> so, best of three. Uh, firstly, to Finney, what are the chances that Australia aren't going to just romp it and win easily anyway? I'd say 5,000 to one, more than it was for Leicester City to win the Premier League. Toby? <laughs> uh, yeah, sadly, I think it's going to be an Australia-South Africa final. Uh, and I can't see anyone beating Australia, to be honest. They just look really annoyingly, disgustingly good. Yeah, well, Finney gets the point for, for 5,000 to one. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, you lose a point for suggesting that England aren't going to beat South Africa in the semi-final and then be abjectly beaten because at the end of a long Antipodean summer that began with Rory Burns being bowled off the very first ball of the Ashes, it will surely end with England's women being crushed by 120 runs or nine wickets by Meg Lanning's robotathon. Um, the, the nightmare that is the Borg that comes out of you, like from Star Trek Next Generation, consuming all that's good. Um and that you you didn't allow for that means you lose a point. So I think Finney, you ju- you win it by one point to half a point. 
This is the <laughs> fucking shittest quiz I've ever been a part of, all right? Just because you two are best mates now. I was thinking... <laughs> <laughs> the first question was how many wickets did they win by and, fin- and Finney's answer was 100 runs and he's ended up winning the fucking quiz <laughs> yeah, well, was, that was, you know that was what what fast bowler calls a loosener isn't it it was a short short wide filth outside the off stump followed by the one that like zeroes in on your teeth right well speaking of uh, short wide filth and uh, looseners uh, Finney feeling good about your, your day of cricket tomorrow Pumped? Uh yes yeah, I, I'm going to have a nice lion. Then I go to the ground, have some breakfast, get a flat white, watch the boys bat for a session, and then get my overs in. So yeah, it's going to be a pleasant day's cricket. Aren't you Do meant you know to that be? Is? That's neuro linguistic programming. Are you are you seeing somebody about mindset? Because any normal person would go, no, I'm dreading tomorrow. <laughs> I'm I'm packing every hand warmer known to mankind. Double beanies, three vests. <laughs> Yeah, it's going to be along those lines, but no, positive, positive. mental attitude. Come on. Now, genuinely, um, aren't you supposed to be like right now, like doing like yoga and in an ice bath and stuff, but instead you're literally fully reclined with a cat walking around your head? Yep. Yeah, they're good for the recovery. Very good for anxiety cats, actually. Look, we got, we got both of them here. Anxiety? You're bowling against a bunch of like 16-year-old theologians. You don't need to be anxious you, about that. Can you can you see them both on the on the sofa there? Oh, Past there they are. Months, I can see them. They are absolutely beautiful. And actually, but I think they're great for mindfulness. And and really, again, these are the one percenters. Do you think that England might introduce that this summer? That the requirement for every century contracted player to own a cat? Potentially, yeah. To go away on tour, take it in a little carry cage with you. The mm. only problem is the litter. The litter can smell. Because these two don't go outside, they're too precious to go outside. So oh. they um they just lurk around indoors. Fast, I hope big, I... big mean fast bowler. He's got two house cats. Two I... house cats. Yeah. I'm supposed to have cats that bring in like pigeons and like, like, flailing around in their teeth, and you know, sort of like scratch the eyes of foxes, things like that. Wouldn't it be great if, you know, every now and then you see like a story on the papers about like an American lady who gets anxious when she flies. So she's allowed to take like a pony on board with her. If they just, if the ECB just assigned all the England cricket team, like Alex Lees won't go out to bat unless he has a pony alongside him. That would make them, make, maybe, that, maybe that's where we're going wrong. Maybe that's where we're all going wrong. We absolutely wonder, what, if, what if Alex Lees plus pony equals Brian Lara? Turns out that's all he needed all this <laughs> that's time. That's all he needed. All he needed was a giant try. pony to accompany him to the crease. To be honest, <laughs> does, give, does, does, does give a pony, pony a fucking bat at the moment? It couldn't do any worse. <laughs> By the way, just to clarify, beautifully put, just to clarify, does, does the pony stay on the out? Or the, where does he stay? Or does uh, he go just, back into a stable? Don't know, probably by square leg umpire. Just like a square leg umpire. Yeah. But if, but if he needs to hold the lead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Because they don't do a fat lot of square leg umpires, do they? That's basically that's your that's your oh that's your time off really, isn't it? Because yeah. well, well, because it all gets sent upstairs. If there's a stumpering or a run out, it goes upstairs anyway. Oh so yeah, essentially, not in domestic, not in domestic cricket, it doesn't. Oh yeah, it's domestic stab, cricket. stab in the dark in domestic cricket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, don't that, say that, Philly. You need to keep in with with umpires. No, yeah, I know. that's a good question, Freddy. I've got to ask you that because there's different types of players, but I always make a real point whenever I rock up on a Saturday um, of absolutely rim jobbing the umpire. I couldn't be more polite 
and more of a suck up to the umpire. Are you that sort of guy, or are you just a grumpy? Why do you vision? still get no wickets though? It's fucking baffling. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how nice you are to an umpire. That doesn't stop when the ball goes twenty meters over the rope. He still signals a six. Yeah, I am. Um, no, I'm a polite bowler. I always say thank you for taking my jumper. Thank you for giving it back to me. Thank you for giving me wickets. Yeah, and then if you see him in the bar at the end of the pay, buy him a beer, keep him sweet. Yeah, I've I've had a couple of run-ins with umpires in my time. A few dodgy wide calls, dodgy no-ball calls. And um, there was an umpire, I think it was George Sharp. Was George Sharp an umpire? Yes, he was. Yeah, yeah, George. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, 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 yeah he's quite an interesting umpire because he was got rid of uh, on the basis of his age and he, he, he took out a lawsuit, I believe, against the ECB on, on the basis of ageism, I think. Mm. Yeah, well, bodes, he, um, bodes well for he you. grabbed me by the scruff of the net. He grabbed me by the scruff of the net during a game against Kent at Canterbury because um, I think he, he didn't give a, uh, an LBW that I thought was out and he obviously didn't think it was out. So he said no. So um, well, I didn't have a, a tantrum. It was, uh, you know, just wasn't that best pleased. Um, and when I took my jumper back off him, he grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, you fucking England players, that you can come down here and behave how you want. <laughs> I was like... I was like, no, I'm sorry, George. I'm sorry. <laughs> Six foot seven fast bowler shitting himself at a guy who's about yeah. to be let go because he's too fucking old. That's yeah, well, 2011, I reckon. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get any more decisions that year from George, unfortunately. No, I bet. Well, George, George, George is an impressive character. You, you should be careful with him. But I, I, did you ever do the Shane Warne trick? Did you, I mean, do or rather do you, um, I'm hoping no umpires are listening, that thing where you go up for the big appeal and then you go, ah, uh, you know, pretending that you, you basically I actually did one. Up. I did one today. I did one yeah. today. It was like, it, it hit the, the lad's pad. Um, and it was obviously going down the leg side. And I went, ah, no, that's going down, isn't it? And he was like, yeah, going down. <laughs> that's clever because then the next one that's a bit tighter, then you give it the big appeal because then Correct. the yeah. goes, oh, Finney yeah. knows, Finney knows what he's talking about. Oldest the next one blew his off stump out of the ground, mate. So don't oh, worry about that. Poor guy. <laughs> right now he's sat in his dorm room. No, sat. I hope not. I hope he's I hope he's in one of the bars in Brighton, to be quite honest. <laughs> anyway, no, 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 according to Toby, he's not doing that. He's mugging up on Ecclesiastes and the letters to the yeah. Galatians by yeah, uh, St. Paul. He is. He's, he's, oh, forget. <laughs> he's, he's swiping through Tinder, sad in his in his campus dorm room right now, and he's got he's got an exam to revise for. But if you think knocking his off peg out the ground makes you a big man, then then that's on you, Finney. It more just pushed it back. It definitely didn't leave the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, well, chaps, that's all we got time for. But uh, let's get that umpire on the podcast in the next few weeks and uh, get Finney to apologise to him properly. And next week, and next week, we will do a full Women's World Cup roundup because it's been one of the most exciting and fantastic tournaments. But we're saving it until the denouement because, frankly, uh, until Australia actually bottle it in their semi-final against the West Indies and England spawnily win in that final, it's not worth really talking about until we've pulled off one of the great and extraordinary feats of escapology that world sport has ever seen. And I can also guarantee that next week and all the weeks after that, we will never be doing one of Norcross's fucking quizzes ever again. Well, you was, didn't warn me. Well, I can't was, remember. It was, it was your idea. Well, you should have reminded me at the time what it was I was talking about. I'm sure I had a very good pretext for that quiz, but I've, I completely lost it. But nonetheless, we managed to educate people uh, in uh, something else. Yes, thank you for that. Well, chaps, lovely to see you. <laughs> Get better soon, grumpy thank old you. boy. Yes, cheers. 
Cheers, chaps. Sorry, George. Sorry, George. Summer is winding down fast, and Labor Day weekend is over in like two seconds. So why spend any of it standing in line at the liquor store? That's why there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So skip the labor on Labor Day and download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.